Um, there's one here um, from Indy who praises the Lord and um, is grateful for his own ability to speak and he prays for God's speaking to him. So, amen to that, Indy. That's a very good thing to, to be aware of. We should all be that, that aware of what God is doing and speaking to us and speaking um, in us. The next question comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. So, using our pew Bible, let's go find Matthew 14, 11, 14. So 11.14, it's on page 11 in the back, if you're using this Bible. And, all right, so um, that is a particular verse. Uh, so um, there's a bunch of questions. Let's back up a little bit and read um, from 7 on. So uh, Jesus um, is speaking, and he began, so verse 7 As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John came. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. Thanks be to God. So, uh, that was dumb. Oops. So, um, all right. So, a number of questions. Uh, if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. What does that mean? Who is Elijah actually? All right, that's two, and then there's another one. So, all kinds of questions here. I, this is probably as good a time as any to announce that Starting on the 20th of August, I'll be preaching through the story of Elijah that we find in the book of 1 Kings. So, perfect timing, you know, I'll, I'll pay you later. Um, so, uh, so uh, we'll get the entire story of who Elijah is. Elijah is considered the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, which is interesting because we don't have a book of the prophet Elijah. We've got uh, Isaiah and, and um, Jeremiah. We've got a number of prophetic books that record the oracles that God spoke through different prophets. What we do not have is a book of the prophet Elijah. Instead, we've got some stories about what Elijah was doing. So Elijah um, is is credited by none other in authority than the Bible itself as the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. So, um, so we'll get a chance to see... Um, what he was doing, if not all the things that he was saying, 
um, when we when we start that study. So um, that's who Elijah is. He was such a great prophet that his name became shorthand for the rest of the Bible. So people would talk about Moses and Elijah, and that meant the first five books of the Bible that that Moses wrote, and then everything else. So Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. There's actually a third category, which is the writings, but that just no one no one mentions that. They don't have that as part of the the shorthand. So um, the law, the prophets, and the writings. So that's who he is. Um, uh, what does it mean? Jesus says, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So he, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. So um, there is a tra- or there was a tradition in um, the first century in Judaism in the first century that um, Elijah would return. Elijah, um, as we will hear, uh, had a had. I don't want to steal my thunder, but um, but Elijah had an interesting uh, departure from this world, more interesting than mine or probably yours. Um, uh, will be, and so um, so there was a tradition that he will come back uh, in order to to um, announce the the coming of the Messiah, and in um, in the the last book of the of the Hebrew Scriptures, the way we organize it in a Hebrew Bible, it would be in a different order. But the 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 last book of the prophet Malachi, um, the last two verses say this. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the days of the parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. So I will not come and strike the land with a curse. So, you know, what is this, uh, 11 or 12 pages before the passage we just read, um, there is this promise that has been in the the Hebrew Scriptures for about 400 years at the time Jesus is, is speaking. So this a long wait that people have had. So when exactly is God going to get around to sending Elijah? And um, so so Jesus says, this guy, John the Baptist, is Elijah. He is doing what Malachi said um, Elijah would do. Um, in, in, um, in Luke's gospel, there's a whole lot of... Um, in, in chapter 1, there's a whole lot of discussion of exactly how John would fulfill these different prophecies. So his uh, father, when he's born, gives this long um, a song of Zechariah who talks about the way that he does this, the way he fulfills this. So um, so uh, that's who Elijah is. Um, that is, uh, that is a, um, the second half of the question, if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. The first half of that question is, are you willing to accept it? And, you know, the story of Jesus is, you know, the the story we see in all the gospel accounts is that a lot of people were not willing to accept it. Jesus was challenging too many of their ideas about, well, you know, that may be your Messiah, but my Messiah is not going to behave that way. So if John shows up and announces Jesus as the Messiah, then John can't be, you know, then since Jesus does, doesn't conform to the Messiah I'm expecting, then therefore John, who announced him, must not be Elijah. So if you're willing to accept it, then then yes, he is. But if you're not, well, you're going to hang Jesus on a cross. So um, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at there, um, or at least that's part of it. Now, 
The rest of the question here. So if he is coming before the day of the Lord, Malachi 4.5, um, was that John in Jesus' day or is that at his second coming? So what is the day of the Lord? So that's a that's a good question. So what is the day of the Lord? Any any guesses? So anyone want to take a stab at that? So in the in the Hebrew scriptures, the day of the Lord is nothing you want to be part of. Um so let me my favorite passage about the day of the Lord comes from Amos. So let me read this to you if I can find Amos. Um so so what is the day of the Lord? Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. So this is um uh page 854 in the um in the front half of the Bible. So alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or who went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bidden by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? And uh, he says, he's, essentially, he's, he's, uh, I, I love Amos 5, it's a great passage, but, um, uh, but the day of the Lord was this idea that that people said, well, God's going to arrive, you know, or not God's going to arrive, God's going to send the Messiah who will sort everything out, right? For whatever, 600 years, Israel has been um, uh, a part of this great game of thrones that's been going on in the ancient world. So the the um, Babylon conquered Israel, uh, then, then the Persians conquered Babylon, so now they're They've got a new boss, but nothing else has changed. So um, after the Persians come the Greeks, and then uh, there's a brief period where there's these pretenders to the throne called the Hasmoneans. They throw off the Greeks, but they don't have the the proper lineage to be considered children of David. So they, they don't qualify in that sense. So then they're supplanted by the Romans, and people are saying, you know, it's a big mess, you know, we're not the first people in history who looked at the Middle East and said, what a mess. <laughs> How will this ever get sorted out? And the answer that they had was, God will sort it out. He will send a Messiah who will sort it out. God, He will knock some heads together. He'll kick some and take some. And and that way it will all be sorted out. And that was the day of the Lord. And what Malachi, I'm sorry, not Malachi, what Amos is saying is, alas for you who are looking forward to that, because you're going to be part of what he sorts out, right? You think, you know, you've outrun the the lion, you know, Rome or Babylon or whatever, you outrun the lion, but you're met by a bear, right? He's saying, you don't want the day of the Lord. So that's the, the understanding of the day of the Lord at the time uh, the first century. So, so this, uh, we really want it because it'll fix everything that's wrong with the world, but we're kind of afraid of it because we're part of the world and how is he going to sort that out? So, so that is the, the problem that the gospel addresses. And so, so the day of the Lord is, is no longer seen as a day, a single day. This is more like in my grandfather's day, right? So when is my grandfather's day? The answer is, a period of time. I don't know if it's his whole life. I don't know if it's a fraction of you know his life. But I might say, in my grandfather's day, you know, they had bumblebees on the on the coins, and they were made out of wood. And 
We used to carry a bag of onions on our belt or whatever grandpa did, right? So in my grandfather's day, so the day of the Lord is now seen not as a single moment in time, but as this series of events that unfold, and that is the day of the Lord. So when does the day of the Lord begin? It begins when Jesus um, is incarnated, and it ends when Jesus returns. So from his first coming to his second coming is the day of the Lord. So that's the the understanding we have of the day of the Lord. Um, and the reason for that is because of the problem of us being part of the world. Yes, he can he can sort out all the problems in the world, but if we're go- not going to meet that bear, then he needs to sort us out first, right? So that we're not we're not afflicted, we're not we're not um, harmed in that in that coming day of the Lord. So so Jesus has to give us a new heart. He has to make us new people. We have to be born from above, so that we aren't subject to the the um, the the fixing everything that's going to happen when Jesus returns at his second coming. So uh, the answer is, was that John in Jesus's day or is that at his second coming? So um, my understanding of it is that John is announcing the beginning of the coming of the Lord. Um, and uh, as for the the return, no one knows, not the angels, not not even the sun knows uh, the day. So, so um, is somebody going to get the word and announce it? I don't know. That part hasn't been written yet, but, um, but, all right. So, uh, so, is that satisfying your, okay, all right. I, I, I don't want to put anyone in the spot, but I want to make sure I'm answering the question. Um, a couple of years ago, Tom asked a question. He asked about lying, and I, you know, kind of stumbled my way through it. And then later on, he told me what he was really getting at, and uh, you know, and that I had missed. And so it was like, oh, that's a great question. And so I ended up preaching that whole series on the ninth commandment based on that. So, so I never know. I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, single somebody out and make them feel like I'm. You know what's wrong with you? Don't you understand me? But at the same time, um, I do want to make sure that I'm getting the question. So, all right, um, let's see. So I've got some leftovers from last time, and I, I'm not sure. I know I didn't do any of the ones that are on square paper or that are printed. So, all right, let's look at these. So, where was Jesus for the three days between his death and resurrection? All right, um, all right. Let me answer that two ways, right and wrong. Um, so, so, um, so turn to First uh, Peter three, which is very near the end. It is on page um, two thirty four, two three four. So, this is the closest thing I'm aware of that gives us an answer to that question. So, um, so uh, chapter three, verse eighteen and following. So, this is the closest thing I know of in the New Testament that answers that question. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. So. You don't have to fear the day of the Lord, right? Because he sorted that problem out first. You know, he sorted my problem out before he sorted out the world's problems. So um, he was put to death in the flesh, 
but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went. So, in which also. So, he was put to death, but still alive in the Spirit. And so, in the Spirit, he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, blah, 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 blah. All right, so the the way that this, this verse has been interpreted historically is people said, during those three days, Jesus ministered to all the, the, the people who came before him who were, who had died. So, King David, King Solomon, you know, whoever, right? That he administered to them in whatever it says, in prison. So the, the, the souls in prison. Um, that's, that's, uh, speculation. Um, uh, Jesus says that, uh, he says, um, the Son of Man will, will be in the ground for three days. So, you know, pick, pick your poison, whichever one you like better. Um, uh, there's a, there's a great phrase in, in, in our book of confessions and other, other works, uh, there, there's something called a curious question. And a curious question means, um, you're, you're being impertinent. That if God wanted you to know that answer, he would have told you. So, um, so, uh, and this is also one of those famous, um, uh, impertinent questions. So, um, uh, today, you know, we're not in the 1500s, so we're not as anxious about um, impertinent questions as they were then. But, um, but uh, you can you can also, if you want to say, you know, I won't ask any. Que- you know, I, I I disagree with this, right? I think you should ask your questions. But, um, uh, you know, Jesus says, "I am the way, the life, and the truth." Right? No one comes to the Father but but through me. If we pursue the truth then we don't have anything to fear because we'll only come closer to Jesus. So I'm not anxious about questions, so um, I don't encourage anybody else to be. But there is, you will sometimes come across that, people saying, you know, this is a curious question and you don't have any right to ask curious questions. So next question, what does the Bible say about tattoos? See my series on Leviticus. So, um, so in Leviticus... Uh, where is it? Is it 19? There's one verse. One verse. And um, I think it's 19. Um, oh, well. It's somewhere back here. I'm, I'm kind of making obvious what you might not have known, which is that I don't read Leviticus as often as I probably should. Um, so somewhere in here, it says, somewhere in Leviticus, it says that you may not um, cut yourself for the dead or make marks on your body. And is it in there? 28, okay, I gave up too soon. Thank you. Okay. So 28. Okay, yeah. So Leviticus 19, so page 106. Uh, you shall not make any gashes in your flesh for the dead or tattoo any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So um, so the way people typically uh, 
there, there's two ways to interpret this. One is to say, uh, with a wooden literalism, don't make any marks on your body. So the other day, somebody asked me a question downstairs, and I didn't have any paper to write on. So I put, what was it, the letter C to remind myself I needed to go do something. And then later on, I was looking at, what does the C stand for? <laughs> I may have done it, but I don't remember. But, but, you know, is that like what Leviticus is getting at? Don't, don't make any marks on your body. Um, uh, I had a pin blow up on me the other day. There's still a little, little trace of, uh, of ink there. Is that making a mark on your body? So you can be a wooden literalist and say just flat out no, no, no marks on your body. So that's, you know, saying about ink is probably too much. But what do we call tattoos? People talk about getting ink, right? Um, I've got a friend who was working on his car. He scraped his knuckles and got a paint chip or something in there. So he's got his own personal tattoo that um, is a reminder of that car, which he did not like. Um, so he carries that with him. Um, so so is that is that wrong? Um, but I think the clue to this is in the other half of that verse, right? It says, do not cut yourself for the dead. So... It's saying, you know, there are the practices of the people of the land, the, the Canaanites and the other people who are in that area. Um, their practice would have been to to carry grieving too far, basically, and to to make um, uh, cuts um, in in their flesh as a sign for the uh, of their, you know, whatever their concern about the dead, their their concern that they also would die, whatever whatever the 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 understanding might have been that they were saying that we're going to make a permanent part of it. We're going to make a permanent alteration to our body as a way of doing something about the dead. So, so that's, um, I would, I would be very cautious about telling anybody anything about tattoos if you didn't look at the rest of that verse, right? It's one thing to take a verse out of context, but to take half of a verse out of context is, is really pretty, pretty rough. So, um, so I think they're probably talking about some kind of a cultural practice about the tattooing also. So that's possible. One one other thought, um, and this is just kind of how would I interpret this today? So what is what is going on here? I think it probably means, um, it, I, I would put it something like this. You don't have to change to please God. God loves you the way you are, right? You don't have to lose weight. You don't have to get the tattoo on your body. You don't have to do whatever. That God is happy with you the way you are. Or God loves you the way you are. God may then guide you so that you can become something uh, better, but um, but it's not a precondition. So I think that that might be a more generic answer to what's going on in that verse. Um, all right. How are we doing on time? We're about out of time. All right, there's one more of these, and then I'll know that I've done all the square ones. So, all right, why is the Catholic Bible different from the Bible we Protestants use, and how do the versions differ? So, all right, I need a whiteboard for this. So, so the Catholic Bible and also the Anglican Bible uh, has, um, I don't know, 10 or 15 extra books in it called the Apocrypha. So the Apocrypha um, means um, something, I forget. It's like it's like um it's like apocalypse but it's different. Anyway, I forget what the apocrypha means, but it, what it what it means is that there's a collection of books which have a a, a kind of an in-between status. They're not just 
some some writer, you know, like I mentioned, the people who wrote about Hitler or apartheid. It's not just some human who wrote about it, and at the same time, it's not it's not written by God. So, what category is it? So, what they are is I mentioned earlier that Malachi um, was ministering about 400 BC, and then you got 400 years go by before Jesus arrives. So, what happened then? Did everybody put down their pens and say, "Well, we'll wait for the the day of the Lord"? No, they did not. They kept writing. Um, but I also mentioned how, at this point, the uh, the Holy Land has been conquered by the Greeks. And Alexander conquered a whole bunch of the ancient world, and everybody learned to speak Greek. You always learned at least, at least a little bit so that you could bargain in a marketplace or something. So everybody knew a little Greek. And so they wrote these books in Greek. So even though they are Jews writing in the in the Holy Land, they're writing these books in Greek. And so there's the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, which are written in Hebrew. Yes, actually, that's a trick question. One of them is about half Aramaic, but um, Daniel is about half Aramaic. But, but the rest of them are in Hebrew. Then there's these Greek books, and then there's the New Testament. So some of these, some of these books for, are roughly the same time as the New Testament. Most of them are earlier. And so what, what status do they put them in? Well, for a long time, the church said, I guess they're part of the Bible. They're part of the Old Testament. And as, as Christianity began to separate itself from Judaism, one of the things that Jews did is they had that same debate. What do we do with these books? Second Esdras and, and Maccabees and so forth, right? What do we do with, you know, first and second Maccabees? They tell the story of the Hasmoneans and so forth. What do we do with this? And what they decided in the end is they said, if it's not written in Hebrew, it's not part of our Bible. So we've got the, the Moses, the prophets, Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets, and then the writings, the Psalms and things like that. So we've got those, um, the, the Tanakh, the, the Torah, Navim, and Ketuvim. So the Tanakh. So we've got the Bible. As for these other things, they're written in Greek. They're just documents. They're not, they're not part of the Bible. So that's what Jews decided. And then, fast forward to the Reformation, you get to people like Martin Luther, and they're going, all right, so I've got a Catholic Bible, which has got these documents in it, but if I go find a, a, a Jew, if I go read Maimonides, he's not going to say anything about them, because, or he might mention them, but he's not going to mention them as Scripture. So why are we giving a higher status to these books than Jews do? And so he said, all right, what we're going to do is we're just going to adopt the same Old Testament as the Jews have. So we now have the Hebrew Scriptures as the Hebrew Scriptures, and then we've got the New Testament. So it was just kind of a clarification. So that's why Protestants differ, because Catholics, Orthodox, and Anglicans all have those extra books, the Apocrypha. And neither Jews nor the other categories of Christians do. And it's just because of essentially the language they were written in is the clue. If they're written in Greek originally, um, like the New Testament was, then they don't qualify. So, uh, but they're still there. And so, for example, if you want to know about the Maccabees, you know, you want to read. I love the, the this hero of of, um, of the Jews who threw off the um, the Seleucid Empire. He got a nickname, and this is even better than Rocky. You know, sometimes people say Peter's, Peter's, uh, Jesus gave him the name Rocky. 
Well, I love this other nickname even better because he was called the Hammer. So <laughs> Judas, Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer. And so he threw off the, um, the, uh, or he, he sparked the rebellion that uh, threw off the Seleucid Empire and got the name the Maccabees. And so his family um, was the, was the Hasmoneans. And so, so, um, but the book that we don't, we don't have, but it's, it's worth reading if you just want to know the story, um, is first and second Maccabees and it's named after Judas the Hammer. So, all right, let's, uh, let's, um, close now in, in prayer or let's, uh, we're not quite ready to close. Let me shut up here after I pray. Lord God, um, uh, we thank you for the people who have made these decisions, questions about what exactly is canonical scripture and what is simply um, useful to know. Lord, help us to be guided by your scriptures um, so that um, as the day draws near, um, we will be prepared for the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.